Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode nine of The Snapshot. We are your hosts. My name is Brennan Patrick, and I'm joined by none other than the handsome, cleanly shaven KM Best. The Snapshot is a Marvel Snap podcast focused on the competitive side of the game. And with episode nine, we're joined by Ridiculous Hat. Hat is the host of multiple Hearthstone podcasts as well as the Hades podcast. And we go into a lot of stuff regarding Snap, talking about the monetization model, turn six decks, et cetera, et cetera. It's not something you're going to want to miss. So let's get into it. So, Cam, how was your week in Marvel Snap, and what did you do with the Cam of last week? Who is that handsome man sitting across from me? Well, uh, I don't know who that handsome man is, but I hit a sub goal uh, on Twitch, which I kind of didn't ever really expect to hit. I said it like after I had a bunch of gift subs expire, and I was like, all right, let me set like a fairly unrealistic sub goal, which I, I set it. And, uh, we hit it yesterday, and the sub goal was: if we hit this goal, I will shave my beard. Uh, I have not shaved my beard in forever. I use it to trick people into thinking that I have a jawline. It's a very important part of my overall look. Uh, it's gone now. Obviously, I I am still don't have a full like. It's weird. I I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, I don't know who that is yeah. exactly. You walk by uh, mirrors and you're like, oh. <laughs> I, a little bit where it's like, it's not even that it's like normal. I had a, I have a generally, I have a very poor picture of what I look like mm -hmm. in my head. I don't have that. I have like super mild, I guess you'd call it aphantasia, where it's just like, I find it hard to visualize things in my head. I visualize concepts, but not very distinctly. So I don't really know exactly what I look like. I have a general idea of what I look like, but I don't know it exactly, not intuitively. Right. And so when I make a change like this, it's like, wait, all my, all my, when I like, for example, when I go like this, right, mm -hmm. I know what that looks like because I've been doing that for like years, right? But now I don't know what it looks like because I don't have the beard. It's very different. It's very weird. Yeah. My 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 uh, subjective experience of reality and of my own uh, self-image, like basically my internal image has not updated to my external image yet. So <laughs> it, it's weird. Well, outside of the well. Outside of the beard shave, how was your week in Marvel Snap? How was the uh, how was the patch? Which we're going to get into in the news. We'll get into the specifics, but first, uh, my week in Marvel Snap has consisted of slamming my head against the brick wall of mm. Thanos and Shuri mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. in an attempt to find anything that beats both of them at the same time ever. Hell yeah! <laughs> I am working really hard on that. I have been just absolutely like I've been trying eight million different Darkhawk decks, but it's like, OK, so we had the, the Kronich deck from the uh, Jukon Cup in Korea. And it was like, OK, this actually beats Thanos. We might actually be able to beat Thanos with this. And so we played it into Shuri because it's like, all right, we'll take for granted. Kronich says it beats Thanos, so we'll take that for granted. And it's like, let's see if it beats Shuri. And I lost. I, I got 10 owed like three straight times by Shuri with that deck. And we, uh, I had, granted, I had made a couple changes. So then I reverted my changes. I was like, okay, maybe Kronish knew what he was talking about. So I reverted my changes. And instead of getting 10 owed, I got like four owed. Uh, so we got some improvement there. And then we talked to Kronish, and Kronish was like, oh, yeah, I, I actually just built that deck 30 minutes before the tournament. So <laughs> it's like, oh, cool. Excellent. Uh, so basically, I've been trying. I've been throwing. The idea I've been having is basically like, how many decks can I throw Darkhawk, Zabu, Rockslide, and uh, Korg in and just pretend that that gives me a good Thanos matchup? How often can I do that? 
And so that that's sort of where my head has been at mm-hmm. uh, recently. And in, in terms of the actual decks, like, yeah, uh, the best deck in the Marvel Snap is Thanos Lockjaw. The second best deck in Marvel Snap is Shuri. And that's pretty much it. Uh, I find it hard to believe there's... Like, I'm trying really hard. I haven't arrived at anything else. Yeah. And I really hope that I do. I hope... I, this is all, of course, pre-Kang, who looks immensely fucked up. Yeah. I would say that those decks being the best decks right now, it it was uh, kind of what we predicted. Mine was what we predicted. I uh, kind of saw it coming with, with the past nerfs. But uh, honestly... You know, you're talking about slamming your head um, against, I forgot what surface you were talking about, but I think that a brick wall, yeah, I usually pick drywall so I could get more of a a visual feedback, but, um, you know, it's not a bad place for me right now in terms of the meta. I've been enjoying it more than I enjoyed the Zabu meta in particular, but I'm always looking for it to be, to be shaken up season to season. And, uh, well, talking about shakeups, let's get into the news. I just want to get into the nerf specifically because, yeah, got to get your thoughts on these. So starting out, Darkhawk, Darkhawk, 4-1-4-0. Do you think that this one power was important to Darkhawk? One thing to note yes. is, yes. So it, it was. It does, uh, it's pretty interesting in terms of how it scales up to eight rather than nine for dodging Shake Chi. As much as that probably isn't super relevant, I just thought it was and interesting no it, it, it's relevant do you know how many like i've been playing a lot of dark hawk since the nerf do you mm-hmm. know how many lanes i've lost to one power it's it's non i've lost lanes because of this nerf yeah like it's it matters it matters even more the smaller the dark hawk is right like i i don't know how to explain this but seven as a, an average was so much better than six as an average because six, there are a bunch of other four sixes, right? Mm-hmm. There are not a lot of other four sevens that can get bigger than four seven. Mm-hmm. And so especially when you talk, think of it in the context of the average Darkhawk being about a four seven, right? It starts to become clear that, oh, wait, this actually really does matter because it goes from being a four seven to a four six, which is like a what, like a seven. I don't know what the percentage uh, that is a reduction. It's like a 14% reduction, I think. And it's... It goes from a 4.7 to a 4.6. It gets reduced by like 14% on average. Like when you put it like that, a 14% on, uh, reduction is, is is pretty significant. When it goes from being uh, a 9 to an 8, that's like an 11% reduction. That's a big-ass deal. Mm-hmm. The only time it's not a big-ass deal is when you hit Subterranea and it's arbitrarily large again. But like the idea that like a a, a more than 10% reduction in its power is not a big deal, I think is I think is incorrect. Yeah, I remember when the the nerf, particularly for um, Destroyer, came out. And I was like, oh, at one point, what is it going to matter? It felt like it mattered a lot. Yeah, I was like consistently losing games because I also think that sixteen was like kind of a break point. I forget what combinations of cards were getting players up to fifteen pretty easily, but sixteen in particular was like it was it, that that's what you needed you kind of need to be at 16 to win those lanes and uh yeah that was it was um it was an effective nerf on destroyer i'll say because that deck has been deleted I mean, from granted, the meta destroyer seems. destroyer was sort of a deck that um the less people knew what you were doing the better and once it became like a meta deck it was like oh well that's that's gonna that's pretty clear but also destroyer's nerf came at a time of of, of buffs to other shit that just sort of made it a little bit irrelevant mm-hmm Mm-hmm. All right, well, Thanos, 6-8 to 6-11. I think we were talking about last week. I was the best deck in Marvel Snap, and it got buffed. Um, what are your thoughts? What are you, <laughs> I mean, like, I saw this nerf, and I was like, what? 
why <laughs> i mean like, I, I i get it like this is like there are there are there are nerfs that are tone deaf and then there are nerfs that are this right like this is like just like i this is like i get it it's like the least impactful possible nerf right like or buff right like if you were to buff any card in thanos which obviously you shouldn't do this is the one that would do the least to actually change how the deck works. Uh, it, it, it's done basically nothing. The deck was the best deck. It's still the best deck. It doesn't really change much. But I like. I'd honestly even call it a side grade because you get a couple more points, but you get more vulnerable to Shang Chi. Mm -hmm. Like it, it. It's not actually doing much. But like the fact that they even thought, I'm torn. Yeah. Because yes, obviously it's stupid to buff the best deck in your game, but. It's such a it's such an, a buff that does not matter at all. And and this is the key. This is the key to me. This is like really important. I really think this is important. Now, when Thanos has the power stone, the full infinity gauntlet, he's the strongest single unit in the game. I think that's fucking cool. Yeah, that makes I think, flavor wise I think that's, makes more I think sense. That's right? actually cool. Yeah, I think that's just awesome. Like, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Like, does it matter in terms of making Thanos relevant? No. Anyone who says this buff made Thanos like the best deck in the game is just out of touch. Yeah. Anyone who says like, like there, there are, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's just like so much fake narratives around the Thanos deck. Here are the facts in my discord. The human spider finished top 10 in the Nian challenge with this Thanos list. Lat like while dark Hawk was the main thing while Zabu was the main thing. And he was talking about it like, you know, the only actual two bad matchups are Zabu and Silver Surfer. And then they nerfed Zabu and Silver Surfer. And this deck suddenly became the best deck. It's not a fucking shock. This is not something that, oh, Quantum Tunnel made it good. No, this is not something that like, oh, the buff made it good. No, this was already a thing. This has always been a thing. And if you weren't in tune enough to realize that, I, I don't know. I don't want. I don't want to be a dick, but it's like if you weren't in tune enough to realize that, that's fine. But then don't just go around not giving the dude credit. Like Human Spider and Lambie series are the reason the decks like Thanos look like what they do right now. Mm -hmm. That's what. That's why they look like the way they do. I think uh, Thanos and, is particularly interesting because I feel like it's elusive in the sense that I see Thanos as like one of the only complicated decks to play in Marvel Snap. To where, like, when you first play the deck, it isn't abundantly clear exactly how you should play the deck. Sort of. I mean, on the one hand, I I, I would say it's actually pretty simple to play. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as complicated, as complicated as it can be, right? Like, I think... It, right, like, yeah. there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. But, like, really, the most complicated plays are, in my opinion, the things I've had the hardest time with in the deck are, like, there's a really impactful location on the board. When is it safe to reality stone? The, mm -hmm. the stuff I have the biggest trouble with is like the subpar hands. Like, do I time stone on one? The answer I think is no. Do I reality stone on one? I uh, I think it's still no, but like I really want to draw cards. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that stuff's the hard stuff. When you draw the good cards, the deck is just cheating. Like if you draw mind stone and lockjaw, the game's over. Like, I don't care what happens out of that Mindstone and Lockjaw. It's going to be better than what they're doing. Yeah. Well, Sandman, <laughs> 4155.
That's a huge. I mean, I mean, it could be. I mean, I guess it's it's maybe a big buff. Do you think this is buff? This to nerf makes me so mad. Yeah. Well, Th- this buff makes me so mad. I hate it so much. Yeah. <clears throat> is Sandman a toxic and unfun card if it's dominant? That's not even why. Why is it why? This is a buff to a control card that strictly loses to the two best decks in the game. Uh, okay. Like you're you're out here buffing Sandman, and you know what's really good into Sandman is uh, a lockjaw and three dudes. Like just be ahead before the Sandman. You know what deck is really good at being ahead before the Sandman? Thanos. You know what deck is really good at not caring about Sandman? Shuri. Yeah. Like I I why? Why would you do this? You you all you've succeeded in doing is making ladder more annoying. Some you, <laughs> yeah. So the interesting thing about Sandman at 4-1, so 4-1 to 5-5, five, five, you know, people could see this as potentially as a nerf, right? Because 5. But Sandman was almost always played with Electro, and it was just awkward at 4. You were basically like Electro, and it yeah. was like, uh, should I even play this Sandman, or should I just go yeah, ahead and play my 5 drop, my 6 drops? Yeah, it's a good buff because it's of the package. It's a good package. buff. It's just like the specific, the specific texture of this format makes it feel much less like a good buff and feel much more like a... It almost feels like it added a layer of protection to these decks, right? Mm. Because now, let's say you want to try to beat Thanos and Shuri. Okay, well, you better also be able to beat Sandman. It's like, wait, no, why should I have to do that? It's hard <laughs> enough to try to beat Thanos and Shuri. Now I have to worry about this crap? Like, that, that, that's, like, it almost feels like they invented a new, I guess, like, tier two or tier three deck, right? Mm. And they, it, but the issue is Thanos decks can get out under it enough that they'll beat you. And Shuri decks can play one card a turn and beat you. Mm -hmm. And so it can never actually be better than tier two or three. And all it does is hold down anything that wants to use a different angle to attack those two decks. I I really dislike this change. Yeah, so just narrowed the meta a bit. Um, The last three here, we'll do them in in sequence because it's just Spider-Woman, 5-7 to 5-8, Namor, or... Yeah, it's Namor. Actually, the Spider-Woman change is based. I love it. Why? I love Spider-Woman. Yeah, but I think well, she's an awesome card. So I, seven I have, power to eight power, though. How like yeah, I don't know if it matters, mm-hmm. but like I, I saw Safety Blade playing around with like a Galactus list that's also a have some crap list. Mm-hmm. That seems fun. Yeah. Namor, four, five, four, six, dagger two, one, two, two. As soon as this dagger buff came out, I had a friend message me on like uh in like a, a group and was like, now I can make my dagger a 232 instead of a 231 <laughs> it's like yeah i'm not sure i mean it's it's cool right these are some of these cards are were underplayed um prior to this Agreed. buff um and maybe this will help them see more play i think that the power no, you, do more of that yeah do more of that right it's it's pretty we've seen it can be delicate like with the angela nerf um but i think it's good you know when you see cards that are very underrepresented sometimes you know we can push them a, a power to try to put them more in line with yeah what the rest of the meta is doing so yeah, good buffs. All right, bend and snap question for this week. It's going to be quick because we do have a bit of a long main topic. This is from Dylan McCarthy, 1908. Dylan says, what happened to make Thanos rise to the top of the meta? There aren't any new cards added since his release using his list. Was it really just the nerfs to Zabu and Silver Surfer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Strictly yes. So like people talk about that, right? And it's like, like, like I, I don't know. I don't know a better way to put this, but like, not only were those the only two bad matchups you had, they were really bad matchups. <laughs> like they were they were 
awful. Because in Silver Surfer, you had a deck that would go super tall and super wide and play Killmonger, and you'd just be like, oh, fuck off, man. Like, you're you're investing in all these big things, and Silver Surfer can just go a little bigger and also Killmonger you. And then uh, Zabu, obviously, was like, just that, that was just a fucking nightmare. Because, like, they'd play, like, four rock slides, and then suddenly you would have 27 cards in the deck and you would just absolutely pull pull rocks the entire game like it's not just that they were the only two bad matchups it's that they were two god awful matchups they were the worst shit imaginable they sucked so bad and uh they are completely dead now basically Yep, 100%. <clears throat> so, yeah, Dylan talks about the cards, just they've always kind of existed. And this is, this, you know, this happens a lot in card games as we see dominant decks rotate out due to nerfs um, or whatever it might be. Other decks have the opportunity to to come back into the meta. And like KM said, uh, the worst matchups for, for that Thanos deck. And like you said, the Human Spider was saying before those cards were nerfed, it, like these are just the worst matchups. When those decks come out of the meta, um, it was just ripe for Thanos to come in and sort of finally cement itself as a, as a a top as a top tier deck here's a here's a question for you you might need to cut this out do you know how to go to the top of a thread in discord in discord the top of a thread not like by just one click no all right i i'm scrolled up. i scrolled up so i'm just i'm just trying to like give, give people a sense of when people started working on this deck right mm -hmm. it's like oh it just became the top deck or whatever so here uh, I, I've scrolled up to the top of my Thanos Lockjaw thread in my Discord, which is like 3,000 posts at this point. It is enormous. So the first post in it was from the Human Spider on January 18th, right? So that gives you a, a sense of the time frame here. This is not something that came out of nowhere. This is a deck that people had been working on. This is a deck that, and like the, when you look at his list, it's it's a little bit different from where it is now. But uh, basically, all the way, all the way from mid-January, people have been messing around with this. Mm -hmm. And then they nerfed the, then they nerfed the big guys, and then this deck exploded. It, like, it, it's, I do feel like the human spider specifically is not getting enough credit here. Yeah. As a big believer in this deck, as someone who optimized this deck. I also feel like Lambie series who put a lot of work into basically Lambie series big innovation is that, oh, this is actually just the best leech deck in the game. And that's what really took it over the top, which is when people realize you could just play leech and then, then your, your counters don't exist. That that's when that's when the deck got really stupid, in I my opinion, where it's just like, oh, all those cards that you want to play on turn six to swing this matchup are off now. I think I've been queuing into Den playing Bounce Thanos since literally that card was released, and only that. <laughs> just like yes, Den Den had Den's big Den was a big believer in Spider Man Valkyrie Thanos and surprising yeah. people on ladder. Yeah, like but uh, I I think like this specific build of the deck was pioneered by the Human Spider, optimized by Lambi series. These are the people you should be name checking. I see people name checking me. Don't do that. Like, I merely provided the incubator within which the great players in my Discord could optimize a list, basically. Sounds like a pretty good reason to to be joining that Discord, getting that early information. 
I definitely, I definitely I mean, use like, the, I use the, God, K, yeah, I use the KM Discord to get most of my list. I'm not gonna lie. If you're yeah, not, like, honest to God, if you did want to learn about Thanos Lockjaw, there's no better repository of information than the thread in my Discord, and I, I don't self promote a lot. Like, mm-hmm. I, I self promote jokingly, like, aha, I'm doing a shill thing, but like, straight up, this is a serious, serious statement. There is no better resource about this deck than the thread in my Discord. There just is not. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the question, Dylan. If you want to get your question read out on next week's episode, shoot us a comment on YouTube and we'll get it queued up for the uh, bend and snap. All right. So into our main topic here with Ridiculous Hat. Cam, I just want you to introduce Hat in terms of his contribution to your career in Marvel Snap because it is uh, it's no small feat from what you've said. So I guess first things first, I actually met Ridiculous Hat when I was still playing Hearthstone in blister guy blister guy's discord he was a like a regular participant there and i always enjoyed the sort of upbeat nature of the conversations in there they were very uh whatever the opposite of being salty is especially as someone who at the time was was very mired in salt and so i always admired uh hat's ability to be positive about things generally the tone of that discord's ability to be positive about things shout out to blister guy and so when I started streaming Marvel Snap and things started going well, he was basically the first person I was like, okay, how do I make my community not like me and more like who I want to be? <laughs> so at how was like the first person who was a like a moderator. He's like the he helped me set up my Discord. But his greatest contribution to my stream, my streaming success, is not anything on the back end or anything to do with my community. It's um when I was streaming Marvel Snap right out of the f- official release, I had stretched aspect ratios on my screen because I couldn't figure out how to make it look good. And everyone was like, you know, you should probably unstretch the aspect ratios. I was like, ah, no, it's fine. And then Hat, Hat, Hat came with me and he was like, if you do not unstretch these aspect ratios, I will kill you. Um, I'm paraphrasing. And basically, the point I'm making here is... This man is the reason I my stream is like even 10% watchable on a technical level, <laughs> like outside of the everything else that may or may not make my stream watchable or unwatchable. Uh, my stream is now you can look at it and not be like, damn, what did he do to that thing? And that's ridiculous hat. That is all him. I'm going to pop that he picture up on JPEG the screen. That is by the still. Way. Yeah, he sent me a JPEG that is still my uh, PNG. Sorry. That is still my actual Thank screen you. layout that he made. In I was going to say something. <laughs> JPEG. What year is it? <laughs> yes. Okay, it's, fine. This was right when the PC client came out and I just had the stupid idea of like, I don't know how to convey this anyway, other than a diagram and I'm bad at making diagrams. So what if we just took a screenshot of gameplay and put these boxes over them? And that was the foundation for the stream that we know and love. Yeah. Um, you know, the- KM does the gameplay and the content, but I can do boxes on a PNG. The only thing missing from the boxes on the PNG is the picture of Richie below me. The the ever-changing variant of, uh, as, as he is affectionately known at this point, KM Guy. That is, that is who that guy is, apparently. <laughs> if you look at the, the, the channel on my Discord where everyone submits their edits of that guy, uh, half the half the like, PNGs that are there are just KM guy and then the name of the variant that it is. So yeah, he's the KM guy now. Sorry, 
Richie. <laughs> Hat, I want to ask you a question about Marvel Snap. Um, because of your background in Hearthstone, what are your thoughts on sort of the, the core ideology of the game and cutting the game down to these short, condensed play sessions and cutting out the quote-unquote, I guess, boring parts of card games? Do you think that this has been effective? Do you think it's key to what makes Marvel Snap so successful? And most importantly, do you think that future games will follow suit? Oh, boy. So, um, what does make Snap special, I think, is a big question. So, okay, obviously, three-minute games are, like, a really big part of the core thing. But let's think about who's listening to this podcast and who's talking to this podcast. People that are doing three-minute games for four hours at a time. It's kind of hard to say that the special part of the gameplay is the thing that people are ignoring by amplifying their total, like, the game count to match a larger chunk. So, I do love that, but as someone that hit booster limit yesterday, because I had a long day, um, yeah, I played a bunch. I think I hit booster limit. I don't know. I wasn't paying attention. It was kind of a blur of just I go next. never hit the booster limit. Since they raised it to 1,000, I have never hit it. Neither have I. <laughs> oh, 1,000? I don't know. I played a lot yesterday. Anyways, okay. point here is, as someone that played a lot yesterday, I can't really say the three-minute games are what make me go if I'm playing for four hours or whatever. Um, so I'm trying to figure out. I've been trying to figure out while I was hitting go next, what about this experience really pulls for me? And do we swear in this show? Is that a thing we do? Yeah, you're good. Okay. Somehow Marvel Snap is the game that makes me not want to feel like a fucking idiot all the time more than any other game that I've ever played. Um, Because, like, when you win, you feel so smart, and when you lose, you feel so dumb, except for the times when you win and feel dumb. I've never lost and felt smart. That hasn't happened yet. But something about the core part of the gameplay loop really pulls that go-next impulse and really, like, draws into sharp focus where the decision points were. Because it's like looking at, at agro-mirror replays, where the decision trees are so compressed that I'm not going to say it's easy to figure out where you messed up, but it's simple. They're fundamentally different, but it's, it's at least you know in those six points, six turns, there's a point where you messed up. And if you can't find it, that means you messed up by staying in the game. So there's always a decision point. Mm. And I think that's really what hits the lizard brain for me is that there's always something I could have done better and it's, it's both easier and harder to find it. I don't know. Yeah, Three minute games I, is great. I played on the train every day, but like there's got to be more to it when I play for hours at a time. So I guess my question would be, I think, I think you're, well, when you said that the short time that games take uh, doesn't matter, I think it actually matters to the thing you're describing. Because the yeah. games are so short, you're able to treat each of them as a learning experience. Because the games are so short, because the decision points are so compressed, you are able to look at them and be like, oh, I should have done this. Oh, I didn't do this. Aggro Mirrors was actually the reason I wanted to play this game in the first place. Like, if you go back and look at, like, my conversations with Jerry about, like, back in, I guess, May of last year about, like, damn, I really want to get into this Marvel Snap game. The the reason I gave was that I love playing aggro mirrors and every game in this game is going to be an aggro mirror where it's just very quick, very impactful decisions. And then it's over and you're on to the next one. And that's that's yeah. my favorite way to play. It's my favorite way to learn. So I do think that the short amount of time matters, not necessarily like, you know, obviously people mitigate it by 
you know, playing for four hours at a time. But I do think the short amount of time matters to the subjective experience of the game because you could be like, oh, okay, uh, I'm going to go play another one now. Right. And the fact that you can do that very quickly, there's no like, oh, I I can't play another one. I have a thing to do in 25 minutes and I'm playing priest like that. That's it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Or or like an auto battler in particular, an auto battler, like a round of BGs, you got a budget like you only budget 15 minutes if you think you're going to lose. And at that point, you never click play. So like if you're going to win, you have to budget like 30 minutes and you really don't want to do that. But like. Yeah, I mean, you know, and and I do think there is value, like a lot of value in the short game time like that. I think that's the reason why I've stuck with this one as opposed to not trying another game. Uh, Like every single time I've tried to duel game with Hearthstone, with Gwent, that obviously did not work out. With Magic, I've been on again, off again. Um, I haven't had the luxury of trying Flesh and Blood in person, but I hear it's great. I hear it's great. Um... But uh, Snap, like, it just fits into whatever schedule I have, which is really nice, but sometimes it can expand. It has that decision-making. And so to answer your questions, Brendan, um, I think other games are going to try this and do it poorly Mm -hmm. because the reason it works for Snap is it takes what should be an extremely repetitive experience and somehow makes it interesting over hundreds and hundreds of games because I think they were shooting for a good game and they accidentally made a really incredibly amazing game that has so much depth that players want to play it way more than their systems were designed for. And I think every other attempt that is made to copy this formula will make a game that gets really repetitive really quickly and it'll flame out and die out. I think Snap got it perfectly right and I have no idea how anybody else is going to successfully replicate this formula. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that my my follow-up question would be, in games like Magic, in games like Hearthstone, and let's look at Magic specifically, what is the <clears throat> what value do turns like Land Go add to the game? So if you look at something like Marvel Snap, maybe they try to cut that out specifically. These uninteractive sort of play my turn, you go, we're waiting for the correct cards, the correct resource base in order to actually interact with each other. Marvel Snap doesn't have that. Do you think that those turns in a game, like in a game of Magic, actually add something to the overall experience, like a, a larger buildup? Or do you think that something like Marvel Snap is just almost objectively better? I think in Hearthstone, you could maybe, maybe it'd be something like, you know, on turn one, you don't have anything, or you play like some dinky, dinky one-cost creature that doesn't really affect the game. Um, do you think that Marvel Snap is, is losing some essence of the card game, quote-unquote, by cutting that stuff out? Or do you think it's just better? Brendan, I'm not sure if this is the best example of a meta because there are a lot of turn two sunspot pass <laughs> yeah. situations going here. Um, but like, so when you're looking at, at Magic or Hearthstone, I mean, those games can have, you can have fast games, but you're looking at the larger arc of a story there where a snap, I think, is a little bit more distilled. But you still, the reason why it works is because you still manage to hit those moments while culling so much of the what's the word not even logistics just like anachronisms Mm -hmm. you cut so much of the anachronisms of you no longer really feel like you're playing a paper card game with snap hearthstone you kind of do with snap it's like you can't flip like a world ship or whatever and be like this would happen in a paper card game like it's it starts to feel pretty different pretty distinct with a lot of the different effects going on and just you know it feels futuristic as opposed to like fantasy themed um, and 
getting rid of a lot of these anachronisms just makes it feel a lot more distinct. I don't think it's missing any storylines. Like, you look at the screenshots channel in KM's Discord, there are a lot of storylines being shared there. A lot of really enjoyable ones, a lot of moments, a lot of experiences. I mean, I still remember the, like, the moment that I can point to where I really knew I was hooked. The first time Night of Alir was a, was a feature location. And I think that was maybe the only good featured location. Uh, like, there have been a couple, but I really enjoyed that. And the first time I got, I got full shanged on Nida, I was like, oh my god! And just, like, all my stuff died, and I lost. And I was like, what the hell just happened? But that was kind of cool. I want to do that to people. I went and put Shang in my decks. It's all been downhill from there, uh, but... Uh, well, that's what happens it's, when you put Shang in your decks. Yeah, yeah. So but I don't know. I agree, I agree with you very, very much. And I think what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to play devil's advocate and look at these older card games and be like, is there a reason in the future for somebody to create a card game that lasts 50 minutes, that lasts 60 minutes? Or is that just too long in the modern age? Um, like, can you, can you even have a game that goes that long that is so sort of compact and sort of decisions and excitement like Marvel Snap is? Or is the future of card gaming... You know, five minute games like get in, get out. We it's exciting almost every single turn. We're impacting the board. We're making decisions. There's back and forth. Is is that the future? And I I think it is. Brendan, I, I mean, am turning this on you. You are now going to answer this question, okay? Because your other game and your other show, you've you've spent multiple days traveling to play this other game. It is the exact obvious of Snap, mm-hmm. the exact opposite of Snap, where you have traveled and then uh, flesh and blood games take a while right yeah take a little bit yep best two or three but generally you have a 50 minute time to play those matches or sorry you'll have a 15 minute time to play those matches it's best of one not best of three so yeah 50 minutes is like kind of a the cap on how long it can be but you're looking at at least a 30 minute game time most of the time so that is embracing the anachronisms as opposed to rejecting them what is it about those two games? Because Flesh and Blood is recent. It's not older. It might hit some of the some of the tropes that we know, but it is a recently created game that has its own success as well. What is it that you see in the contrast between the two? Yeah. Where you say, like, this is good for the short games, this is good for the long games. I want you to answer this because you have two podcasts for two very different games that are both recently created that are both excellent. So I'm not sure that the actual length of the games is adding value to Flesh and Blood, but what Flesh and Blood did right and what Marvel Snap does as well is the concept of simultaneous turns, right? Both players are effectively playing both sides of the turn cycle and they keep you engaged. When you play something like Flesh and Blood and then you go back to Magic the Gathering, it does feel a bit archaic when I'm sitting on my turn or I've played my turn and now I sit there and simply wait for your turn. There's this concept that I can be thinking about future turns and planning out, but in reality, you just end up getting a little bit bored. Flesh and Blood does this, but I think it's more of an illusion than an actual reality because in Flesh and Blood, there is the turn player and the the other player, but that player can block with cards, which is, I guess, a form of interaction, but I think it's more of an illusion of interaction. Nevertheless, it does keep you more engaged throughout the entire game. Flesh and Blood is also a game where you don't you don't have resources like lands, like in Magic the Gathering. Your resources are the cards that you attack with, so you're constantly weighing up the balance between sort of the power level of your deck using cards to pay for resources that then go on the bottom of your deck and you will see in a later point of the game. So you're effectively kind of 
playing what you like to call second cycle while you're playing the first cycle. So you want to be getting the most value out of your hand every single turn. But at the same time, you need to be making sure that the bottom of your deck, which you will say, see later in the second cycle, are sort of hands that you would like to draw and that you would like to be able to sort of win the game with because the likelihood of you getting there is somewhat high. I mean, in modern flesh and blood, we don't really hit second cycle anymore because the cards have gotten a bit powerful and aggro is a bit uh, a bit popular, but nevertheless, power creep. Yeah, <laughs> there is there is this like I there's this tension there's this tension of like the cards I use to f- the resource cards I use to fuel my attack cards or something that I will have to use is like um, attack or aggressive or value cards in in the late game. And I think that yeah, these simultaneous turns coupled with that kind of feels like there's a very large buildup in Flesh and Blood. Nevertheless, but after I'm playing uh, Marvel Snap, I look at Flesh and Blood and I'm like, could Flesh and Blood be 20 minute games like do we have to be playing for 50 minutes could we condense these decisions and you know what i think the answer is probably yeah i've got a thought right because i think we're talking about marvel snap as this super fast card game but when you think about how long a battle mode takes Mm -hmm. and how long you know you know what if the tournament format for marvel snap was a best of three battle mode that would be like you'd get you'd get your 50 minute rounds, right? Like you would get that would take a significant amount of time. I think even right now, battle modes are taking less time than they should because people should be roping more. It's one of the things that I'm going to have yeah. to remember, like going into uh, the tournament that I'm preparing for. I am like 95 percent sure the optimal battle mode strategy is to rope every single turn. I, I, I cannot think of a single reason why you wouldn't do that. Because doing anything other than that is a tell. Mm-hmm. Playing faster, playing slower, that's a tell. Like, I have been in battle mode games where my opponent is taking a long time and they don't normally. And it's like, oh, well, I know they don't have the thing now. I know they have to really think about what's going on here. I know they're thinking. And you're, you're giving that information away if, you can, if your opponent can get a read on you. And so... I. I kind of suspect that you're you're supposed to rope every single time to give yourself the most time to think if you ever need it. And that is not good for a game where we're talking about the appeal of the fast games. Yeah. Does it still work the same way with snapping where if your opponent is snapped and you decide to rope them or whatever, you can snap back and they have to either retreat or sit into yes. the yeah. So it's just like objectively better to be in that scenario rather than snapping early and giving your opponent more more right. sort of decision points. I've, yeah. I've been like I I I've been in battle mode situations where it's like, uh well, I already played my cards and then they snapped me. Yeah. I have no idea what to do in a situation like that. Because that's additional information that I didn't I'd already made my play. And so like we talk about like, you know, the awesome things about this game, but the fact is simultaneous turns, simultaneous access to the snapping does incentivize you to make simultaneous as uneven as you can mm-hmm. uh, to take as much advantage out of that simultaneousness as as you possibly can, which means, unfortunately, roping. Yep. Ugh. Yeah, I think yeah. it's uh, it's objectively correct. It sucks, in, in it? Unfortunately, like objectively, like there's no reason not to do it. Um, I want to follow up that that answer, though, uh, hat with. You talked about sort of in a game Marvel Snap, you have this, like if you made it, if you, you made a mistake at some point, right? And that mistake can boil down to you just, you didn't leave the game. What do you think about the snap mechanic as an axis of skill for a player and an axis of reduction of variance as well? So I'm going to jump back just a second 
because you asked, will other games do more like Snap in the future? And I turned it on you. Mm -hmm. But to answer your question, yes, other games will because this is a more effective way to make money. So yes, they will try and emulate this because shorter games means more opportunities for players to see the shop. Anyways, uh, Snapping as a, a skill and reduction of variance. Um, I don't feel like I have a firm grasp on all the ripples in the pond from the Snap mechanic. Mm-hmm. I think that I would bet the vast majority of players, like the vast majority, ignore it completely. Uh, because it's, we, Tian Ding did a stream last, or he was on Dara's stream last night and talked about the majority of players clumped in the 40s. I think he said 80 plus is 5%, infinite is 1%. I would bet the vast majority of players probably just don't even engage with it and just play out the cards every time. And if they do snap, it's either on turn one or turn six. Because uh, they either do it every time or they never do it. Um, but as far as balancing variance, I mean, it's more that I can view a one cube game as a mulligan. Mm-hmm. So that kind of mitigates variance, assuming that I'm in the right frame of mind to take advantage of it. <laughs> but sometimes I want to stick it out and see if I'm going to win. And, you know, it's after a Sokovia hot location day, then maybe that impulse is beaten out of me, or maybe I realize maybe now isn't the best time to play Shuri. Um, and I switch to Thanos because discarding Thanos, like, who cares? And discarding a you single know, that, stone, like... That's always been true. Like, there's yeah. never a time where I would actually rather be playing Shuri than Thanos ever. No matter... I, I guess you could probably come up with a hot location that would make me want to do it, but it's very rare, I would say. Like, they're the two best decks, but one, I think, is clearly just a little bit better. Not necessarily, like, so much better, but just, like, clearly a little bit better. Well, the reason to play Shuri is because I didn't know how to play Thanos for the first few hours. So, <laughs> Oh, dude, uh, that's, that's normal. <laughs> no one knows it how is to normal. play that deck. And I figured it out. So uh, I had a level up moment when my opponent made a really sharp play. What I was doing, every time I would Space Stone Lakja... I would move something and play more stuff in the lockjaw lane. And then uh, my opponent yeah. just moved the lockjaw instead. Yes. And I was like, oh, that's clearly better than everything I've been doing with this deck is you just get to lockjaw multiple lanes multiple times. Yep. Instead of just like this lane rules and the other lanes, how do I win? No, you move the dog. You, yep. you, throw, you move the dog. You move the dog. Yeah. Move the dog. It's like the bolt of burning. Uh, yeah, it was a level up moment. It was great. I, I mean, sometimes it. you don't like the, the other level up moment is sometimes you don't move the dog depending on what's left in your deck, right? Like sometimes you're like, the, I actually we're not, can only we're not get a one good yet. thing out of that. We're not strategy yet. I got to pull you back. We have too many okay. things. I will go on too many tangents. Okay. People, go to twitch.tv slash kmbestms. Yeah. <laughs> no notes. It's um yeah I mean the the snap mechanic I think it was I I don't know because I heard this from Brian Gottlieb and I actually didn't look into it but I don't know if you all know but it was taken from backgammon right or something like that or whatever that card game the doubling cube yes, yeah, yeah exactly yeah so I have no experience with that but Torican I can talks about this all the time yeah I do find it to be a pretty elegant system and also it does seem like you know the more I play Marvel Snap the more I'm like wow if I, <laughs> if I wasn't able to snap this game would probably be quite frustrating um, especially oh, I mean yeah. yeah that that really came out <clears throat> during the, the sort of the Zabu the Zabu days I was like I appreciated I appreciated snapping a lot more um, but it does feel it does feel very elegant it, it, it flows and it it makes things exciting um, do you think that the game could 
could function without it, or is it absolutely core to the game at this point? Because I think people have mentioned, at least in <clears throat> in Twitch chats, for whatever that's worth, um, of game modes where maybe there is no snapping or there's uh, snapping without a cap and stuff like that. Uh, do you think that it's core to what makes Marvel Snap Marvel Snap at this point? For me, it does. And I think that for any player that pushes, like anyone that cares about rank even a little bit, it's part of it. Because it's like, think about what we talked about, about variance mitigation. The reason snapping is relevant is because it makes a retreat not feel like a loss when you don't do it. It's more about the scenario where you're opting out of a game or opting out of a a low variance scenario. Um, That's really where it feels relevant when the stakes are low because... It's given me it's given me this feeling when I go play Hearthstone. If I'm behind on board on four, I'm like, I'm just gonna go. Wait, no, I can't do that here. It doesn't it it's not better to just leave now. But in Snap, it's all about keeping the flow going and not feeling stuck in a game that you don't feel like you can win. But really that means it's it's not the snapping that matters. The snapping enables the retreating to matter less. And so that's really where the core part is. You can just re-roll a game and leave your cube on the table. That seems like the important part. Because, like, you know, I think that most games should be four cubers-ish, right? Or, well, no, most games should be a snap and a retreat on, opponent retreats on four. But I think, like, if you're in a game where both people feel like they have a shot, it's probably a four cuber. Because you don't want to instantly snap back, and you don't want to snap back on six because they'll leave. So, like, someone will snap in the middle of the game, and often you don't want to show your strength. And so they end up being four cube games, eight cube games end up being like a big deal but also again i think someone probably made a mistake by staying in it and after having a bunch of tilt spirals over the past few seasons i made a rule if i snap on four and i get counter snapped on six like just probably go unless you have the absolute stone cold nuts Mm -hmm. so those scenarios are are like intense and and significant but they happen so rarely so I think the one cube outcomes are more important to consider. Yeah, what I find particularly interesting about the snap mechanic is these sort of collateral or tertiary effects. <clears throat> Some being that, I guess in Marvel Snap, you're somewhat rewarded for playing higher variance decks um, and decks that explode on turn six rather than show their hand on turns one, two, three, four, or five. Cam and I have discussed this a lot, but it does seem like those are somewhat objectively better for ladder. Um, and it does... I don't know. You don't think so? I don't know. I, I feel like I need to chime in on this. Go ahead. Like, yeah. So I think that's the because that's what the game's mechanics are telling you to mm-hmm. do, right? The game's mechanics are telling you, all right, well, cubes double here, so you can get even more cubes if you trick your opponent into staying and then dump a bunch of power on turn six. And I think this is something that I came up a lot with with leader, right? And I think it's coming up now with Leech and Sandman, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like the game's mechanics are telling you to do this thing, but these cards are for the sake of balance. There needs to be something that says, hey, you can't do this thing. And so these cards are being like, oh, you can't do this thing. And everyone is just really mad at these cards, right? These cards. I know you're you're a big leech hater right now. I frankly think he's one of the best cards in the Thanos deck, if not the best, with the possible exception of like two or three of the stones and maybe Lockjaw. And but like the, the, the reason they're so powerful is because every deck to some degree is built to do that, right? It's like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this thing, right? The reason why i'm so against like an arrow nerf for example is because she inverts that curve arrow's existence inverts that curve oh you're behind and you want to explode on turn six sorry dude it's all going in one lane 
I'm ahead and I'm going to stay ahead. There needs to be something to to balance out that why that 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 explosion on turn six gameplay, because otherwise every deck is just going to be explosion on turn six gameplay. And so I think especially in this metagame, which is utterly dominated by Arrow, by Leech, there's some Sandman running around. I think it's actually never been less true that you need to keep people in games to six. It's never been less true because of all these powerful tools pushing you the exact opposite direction. Yeah. Super interesting. Kat, do you have anything to sort of chime in on that? Do you think that the cube system, I mean, just, well, yeah, we'll hit it from the sort of fundamentally, or do you think that the cube system incentivizes players uh, on ladder to play decks that explode on turn six rather than gain advantage in earlier turns and snowball that advantage? Oh, it absolutely does. Yeah, that's why they keep pulling it back. They they will have to constantly pull it back every single time they do a balance patch unless they go too far. Like, every single time. Uh, it's, what, Sarah was the biggest deck in beta in yep. various iterations for um, all of it, the whole thing, the actual whole thing. Like, Sam and Destroyer, or just Destroyer's, Ongoing Destroyer was the first uh, post-beta deck that, like, won pool three card, and it was really strong. Um, and that was a big two-cube climber because you would win with Professor X a lot. Yep. And then no one ever stays in the game where they lose Professor X roll, like, because you know that a 16-power destroyer is coming down. Um, it's... The game is fundamentally designed where that stuff is always going to be disproportionately represented. Playing on curve is always going to disproportionately suck, which is why I said they should never have nerfed Angela and why I think they should unnerf it now. She did nothing wrong. She's exactly the kind of card you want to be good in this game. She makes it fun to forecast power, which is something that you are disincentivized to do. Even though, obviously with Sarah, she cost one and then had a bunch of her one mana friends along with her. That was not necessarily the most healthy thing, which is why they had to pull back Sarah and everything around her and really what you're describing brendan it's called mr negative there's a reason they kept nerfing him and all of his friends because it was all this turn six burst stuff it was all this late game burst stuff so they're gonna have to keep pulling it back but now we're at the point where other strategies are better because they've nerfed all of this people are still trying but yeah, this is more of a curve meta than we've seen in a while, even though it's not curve in necessarily a fair way. Everyone is still breaking it oh, by no. playing stuff way above the prescribed curve. But if you think about the game in four axes, right? Or four, four quadrants, two axes. Curve versus burst, and proactive versus reactive. The burst proactive is basically always going to be the best thing unless they pull all the cards back. And every time they print new cards, it's always going to be about burst proactive, right? And so now I think we're more in a curve proactive with Shuri and Thanos being the best things. When we had leader meta, it was more of a kind of a curve reactive. You weren't really bursting. You were just mirroring what they were doing. And people had feelings about that format. <laughs> they had feelings. But we are now in kind of a... You know, you play, you spend all your mana, all your energy every turn now, um, but it's not to play, we're not playing three sixes and four eights. We're no. going bigger than that. Yeah. A lot. We're bigger. cheating. We're cheating. Like, what, yeah. what's, what's happening I mean, is the fundamental thing that's happening. Yeah, the, the two top decks are decks that cheat. <laughs> like, that's that's pretty much it. I want to highlight yeah. that. I mean, that Lockjaw is just about... like, 
Oh, sorry about that. I just want to highlight your statement about Angela because I actually think it's like, I don't know. I never thought about it like that. And I think it's a little, Agreed. quite a bit profound is that players forecasting power is like something that you want, right? It's not, it's not actually an issue. Um, and that's absolutely correct because these other decks are just pushing us to sort of not forecast our power, right? To surprise our opponents, to uh, sort of extract cubes out of them. And I never thought about Angela as a sort of healthy addition to the game because of that, because it does signify this lane, this is where I'm going to be playing, right? And you get this sort of incrementally increasing advantage over the turns rather than turn six, boom, I'm way ahead. Free my girl. Yeah, I mean, if someone played Angela into Bishop in the same lane, you just stopped fighting for it, right? Mm-hmm. You just stopped. Yeah. So you knew what you were doing, unless you had a reason to fight for it, and maybe you did, and maybe they got cocky and they nightcrawled into that lane, and then on turn six you shang them, and like, and that was a fun, cool gameplay moment, but usually the play was to separate your Angela and your Bishop, and the reason they got nerfed because they were played really heavily, but also they were both in Sarah decks because they were really cheap ways to get a bunch of power when you pair them with a bunch of other two-mana cards that are busted, like a Mysterio into a Bucky into a into a carnage those cards are great when they cost one instead of two so then you go for the burst thing so really they got punished for sarah's sins and i think two one angela and three two bishop would not only be like okay right now fair i don't even know how much play they'd see but also like so people talk about I see too much Scorpion, I see too much Iceman, I see too much Sunspot. Yeah, buff ones and twos, because they're all bad. You don't want to play so any of them. Bad. And when yeah, you buff, I, Have you ever looked for a second Zabu. two? Have you ever Zabu looked for now. a second two? Like, it's so Thank bad, Thank God dude. they did Zabu, yeah. Like, you look for a second two, and like, what, the, you get, okay, you get as far as Lizard, right? Mm-hmm. You get Lizard, you get Scorpion, and then it's like, oh my god, what is the next two drop I'm supposed to play? Yeah, that's a serious question. Koye, armor, armor, probably. Like, yeah, armor. Yeah. armor has yeah. Think about how many armors there are. <laughs> yeah, Ugh. it's so bad. Or it's just like, oh my god, there's just nothing here. There are two, three, two drops that are two fours, right? It's Mysterio, Cloak, and a Colleen Wing, all of which are hardcore unplayable if you want to be curving out because they'll help your opponent some other some amount of the time. Like every one of these comes carries a significant downside, and then there's just Lizard, who's a two five. He's amazing. Yeah, he's one of the best cards in the game, and he's just like this dork who sits there. That's it. That's the only thing he does. He sits there and he gives you priority and he gives you five points. And like Lizard's downside is so much better than the downsides of any of these other cards because of how priority works, right? Like you're totally willing to sacrifice the potential for them putting four cards in the lane in order to basically guarantee you have early priority and he's the strongest of them for some reason. No one's really sure why I haven't figured that one out. Yeah. I don't get it. The fact that they have to commit four cards to your lizard lane, like a large investment in order to re- to reduce its power is pretty crazy too. Like, I think that that downside is, yeah. it's a bit hard to hit, right? Like lizard is a great two drop for sure. And like you I said, I want to talk about buffing. I want to talk about buffing, buffing ones though. Okay. Which how, ones do you how, have in mind? How, what do you think the biggest one drop could be reasonably? Because like there's some that are just like so out of whack, right? Like Titania is super out of whack with like she's bigger than every two drop except Lizard, right? Mm-hmm. And the idea is, oh, her her downside is bigger. I'm not actually sure that's true. But there's something like Titania. There's a bunch of one threes. Why are there you so many? Titania's one downside th- is, right? You have to think about what you're doing when you play her. 
Sure. Yes. Okay. There is a downside that you have to think about her. But like, there's so many one threes, right? And you look at like Zero, who's like a one three with like what's basically, I would say, an upside in every deck he's played in, right? And there's so few two fours. What's going on with that? Like, I like wh why do you think, like, for example, here, here's a proposed buff for you Hawkeye to starting two power possible yeah i like i want you to talk about this though like when we think about one drops um like is the danger with one drops is like you have one drops that are played on turn one right but then you also have one drops that are played on turn fives and turn six and are maybe discounted buffed by other things and they you know you can put a sure. bunch of things on the board at turn six right and surprise your opponents is that what they're trying to avoid rather more than you know you play a one three on on turn i mean one? that's 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 why i like the hawkeye suggestion right it prevents it from being a, a card that you play on turn six and get like a million power out of. It puts it at the same level as something like Rocket Raccoon. Mm -hmm. It makes it a very interesting curve play because it's a very like you go Hawkeye into something. For example, it makes me want to play Mysterio more. Hawkeye into Mysterio is a thing that I might want to do. It makes me want to do a bunch of different things, but I can't do that if Hawkeye's only three. But giving him that extra plus one feels like it could matter in fighting for priority. I don't know. Like, yes, they're obviously trying to avoid that, but I think Hat may remember this. In the early days of Marvel Snap, everything was explode on turn six and all the six drops sucked. They were all just awful. You'd like Chavez. play. Yeah, Chavez, because it would make it more likely that you did your explode on turn six thing and you'd play Jubilee and it would always pull Chavez because that's how that worked back then. But every everything else like dr doom was like oh that's 15 power that's cute i'm gonna play like six one drops and all of them are gonna have five power because i played blue marvel kazar and that was just better right and now there are so many more tools to turn that kind of thing off there are so many more widely applicable ways to turn that kind of thing off and i think i think maybe we've gone too far in the other direction is basically what mm -hmm. i'm getting at I think Hawkeye hits on an earlier point, though, forecasting power, which makes it inherently more balanced than the other things, right? The idea that you have to play something on the following turn, and you're telling your opponent that you're going to play there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, or what if Hawkeye had the same bonus as Ant-Man, right? Like, just yeah. one and then plus three. That's sure. fine. Um, at, like, I will... So, Beta, back in our day, back, in, back then, um, keep in mind, like, Pool 3 wasn't a thing that people had access to when Killmonger was a Pool 3 card, so you could just play a bunch of ones. There yep. was a bunch of burst stuff, like, but it, it was more, it, a lot of it was about people didn't have access to the cards, it was a tiny player base. And yeah, six drops were pretty rough, but we also didn't know how to play the game yet. But you couldn't, like, you couldn't leader back then because every board slot was full. It just, yeah, like, leader you was wouldn't really that. have a... It was, yeah. it was, it was just, playable... It just wasn't, in Death Wave. Wasn't aligned well. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, I mean, Wave was in the second season pass uh, yeah. shortly after Beta, and very few people had access to Death and Wave and Killmonger, which was, again, a Pool 3 card at the time. Um, one drops are, like, there is a risk of stockpiling them in your hand and playing them all at once. Uh, there is a design challenge. You have few, You have less granularity. Because you have a smaller range of numbers that is acceptable. Uh, and so, like, with a two, you could you could go in any number of directions. You could make a smaller one with a bigger effect. You could make larger ones with, with downsides. Um, but there's more of a range of what a two drop can be where you can justify playing it. Whereas a one, like, 
one one it needs to be really really strong to play a one one it has to have some powerful effect uh a one two and they, we again it has to have a decent effect one three you start really thinking about it uh and then larger than that you get titania so you know when we see things that either have immediate impact in iceman or korg uh ant-man potentially because it's large and you can cheat it especially with valkyrie uh titania because she's a one five like that's a large number zero because it's actually an upside for you and also a large number you're you're seeing where there's there are limitations here but i think that there is opportunity for experimentation they've been trying like look at mbaku that's not it's technically a one drop but i think he's actually a really interesting card and the frequency uh with which his downside is encountered makes the stories with M'Baku so much more interesting. I find that card to be a, a pretty compelling design because of how bad it usually is, but when it's good, you have a a, cli- a Twitch clip, mm-hmm. right? You have a story to tell somebody. Yes. Uh, and uh, it's it's really fun. I don't know. What about, like, if there was a 1-2 that was a proactive Hulkbuster merged with the next card you play at this location? Then I start thinking about it because I'm not really committing a board slot. It's not vulnerable. It's not going to get killmongered. And it gives me something to do on turn one. Like, uh, there's opportunity for them to explore one drop space, but it's just, it's naturally limited because it's first a little dangerous to push it too hard. And second of all, you just don't have as many numbers you can put on the card to make it make sense. So I think it's just a challenge there. And the game has proven to be more interesting when you're playing stuff at all different spots in the curve. And so they can't load up all the one drops at the same time. We've seen that before. It's not interesting. So they have to make sure that they balance it out and make it just a different kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make I sense? Like I answer that your question. Buster. Right? Kind of nice, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, honestly, one of my favorite one drops is one that I don't play very much, but it's Human Torch and it's played in the move deck. I think it's particularly interesting. I just don't think it's particularly competitive at this point. It's all, I think it slots into that deck specifically. Which, no, dude, they said it was the best yeah. card in the game. <laughs> Human Torch, best card in the game. Shang Chi, worst card in the game. Worst card in the game. You heard it here in the Snapshot Podcast, folks. Had <laughs> I want to ask you your opinion on card design like Galactus. Do you think it's healthy for the game? Do you think it's good, or should we stay away from that kind of stuff? You're instigating. Is, this instigating? <laughs> yeah, he's instigating. is that what this is? Yeah, no, um, you, you that's that's a mean question. Healthy for the game. Okay. What is healthy for the game is to have a variety of options and ways for players to enjoy and express themselves, to feel agency in deck construction, selection, playstyle, reflection, uh, and also to theoretically for those choices to play out and do the thing and get to do it. Um, I don't love the way Galactus games play out. I don't enjoy being in the receiving end of that. However, however, I have Null pinned. He's pinned in my shop. You know what I'm going to do when I get him? No, tell me. I'm going to no Galactus idea. people. I'm going to Galactus people. I am going to I'm going to negative Galactus people first and that's not going to work, but I'm going to do it and then I'm going to get it once and then going to switch to something else. And I'm not going to keep playing Galactus cuz I I don't love that style of play. Uh it kind of erases a lot of the interplay that I enjoy. But there are players out there mm-hmm. in Hearthstone. We call them priest players mm-hmm. that enjoy erasing the interplay. Yep. That enjoy griefing. That enjoy like contain and control on my terms. Make it very clear what this game is about and how I'm going to beat you. You need that in your game to cater to that player base. You have to do it because if you don't, they have no home and they stop playing. 
Sandman. So is it healthy? Is it healthy for the game in terms of a player base thing, in terms of options and agency? Yes. Do I like it? Fuck no. <laughs> I hate playing Galactus games. But they should keep it in the game. I just want to make sure it never becomes the best thing to do. Yeah. As long as it's in the game, it's fine. As long as it's never the best thing to do or frequently seen thing. Yep. I'm uh, oh, frankly a little worried that it might be really good right now. I'll be honest with you. I'm a little worried that it might be really good right now. I haven't put a ton of effort into it, but there are the, I keep thinking, like, you know, how does Thanos ever beat this? The answer is Leech. But, like, it is sort of a weird question, right? Like, how do you, how is Thanos ever supposed to beat this? And the answer is, like, you just, like, you just cheat out a Leech and, like, okay, the Galactus player's entire deck turns off. But, like, still, it's, it's still bad, right? Like, like, I don't know. I don't know exactly. Like, like Shuri is supposed to beat it by going bigger, maybe. But then you lose. The, like, the answer is both these decks include Arrow, and maybe they'll, like, Arrow the Galactus to the bad place. I don't know. It's yeah. I think it's that, a very think, powerful effect. I think Galactus is mitigated, mitigated by the snap mechanic more than, like, any other kind of counter card. Just that it plays out on turn five, usually, and you can you can get out of there. But it does cater to this player that believes that fun is a, is a finite resource. Um, it's funny, because in Flesh and Blood, we have a deck that does that called Kano, and the, the studio uh, nerfs it aggressively. <laughs> To my uh, to my sadness, because it's my favorite deck, I am one of those players. But um, yeah, Galact- I think Galactus is that in Marvel Snap. Um, I like I like the idea of these other ways to play the games, like a, a, a unique a unique way to engage with the board and engage with your opponent. And I think Galactus is the idea of that. The execution, you're right, it's very unfun on the other side, and the freaking animation and sound is a bit tilting after a while. You're like, Burr! you're like, what the hell? Here it comes. Well, you don't again. like having the bass dropping yeah. on you? Yeah, you know I like- think it's you know. No, it's just after the the thousand the south or sorry the thousandth time that's when it gets a bit old. The first time I was like, "Wow, this is really cool." I mean, people were so hyped for Galactus before it was finally released, and then after it was like, "Oh, that's kind of annoying." <laughs> it is sort of yeah. funny that like the ultimate destructive force in the universe is just oh, that's kind of annoying. <laughs> that's and it eats planets. Ultimate destructive force to power. Mm-hmm. Loses to loses to zero in a heads up fight. Loses to Professor X in a heads up fight, much to my chagrin. Yeah. I found that I found that out recently. <laughs> I have a couple of those screenshots where I Professor X and they Galactus, and then they do Deadpool emote and they go. Yeah, I uh, I want to close it out with one kind of one big question, slightly controversial question, but I think a really important question for the for the future of Marvel Snap, and it's, what are your thoughts on the monetization system, and do you think it's sustainable long-term? What changes would you make? What changes would I make are not changes they will do, because <laughs> they run a business <laughs> yeah. and I am a That you think are reasonable it's, for the business to make. Uh, you're joining me on I would always advocate for everything to be free island. Uh, I mean... That's my, so that's my position. If, if you are, if, if you're a game designer and you're making a game, what do you want? You want people to play the game and you want people to play with the cool stuff you design. Sure. But if you are a person running the studio and you want your game designers to have money to eat food and keep making your game, then you have to charge for it. Uh, so, okay. I've worked in, in the service industry and in, at a fairly high level of management for almost two decades now. So I'm going to give a perspective that I would if I were running the business. People watching this podcast, please do not flame me. I am not advocating for these changes. 
I'm just saying this is what I think they have to do and what they will keep doing, which is pretty close to what they're doing now. Because Marvel Snap is a perfect case study in boundary testing gamer angst, yep. where you see how many people will simultaneously complain about the pricing while buying all the products in the shop. Snap hits that perfectly of, yeah, I, oh, I, I have tuned into twitch.tv slash KMBestMS during the Thanos saga. I am aware of making sure your tokens were stockpiled. It's, it's, there are a lot of tension points. There is a lot of friction in the purchase process. There's a lot of time spent saying, I wish I had everything. This sucks. But people don't quit. They keep complaining and they keep playing. And when something cool crosses the shop, they will think about buying it, even if it's a big bundle and especially if it's a smaller one. And Token Tuesday is going to do really well. Really, really well with those upcoming data mine bundles. So I understand the tension points here. I think Pool 3 Angst is a really miserable experience. And my biggest concern by a large, large, large margin that I don't see a solution for yet is the new player experience who starts now after global, after beta. The spin up time takes a long time and there's no catch up mechanic. That's what I think is missing by far. And no, the pro bundle does not count second dinner the pro bundle does not count give people that are far back in p3 watching people like like km on youtube playing with p5 decks that runway keeps getting longer because the economy in this game is a function of time and people that start later spent less time how do you catch up on something where it's a fixed speed so we need to close that gap to get people close to where they are now. And I'll tell you, it's not a perfect economy right now. Do not think that I'm saying that. But as far as the business is concerned, they have probably found the exact boundary line for where people will complain and stay invested and spent. Because if, they, if this wasn't working, we wouldn't keep seeing it. And we keep seeing it, so it must be working. Mm -hmm. So you talk imagining about... You talk about oh, people sorry. people having uh, like their sort of their progression in their collection is a function of time, and there like there is no catch up for that. What if the catch up was money and spending money, which it is, right? So you can spend money to sort of progress farther, right, than a normal than a normal player would. You could spend a lot, a lot of, money of money to progress farther, but how do you capture people that don't want to spend a thousand dollars to finish pool three? Yeah, that, that's like, exactly what I was getting at, right? Like the 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 the, the when you said the the pro bundle is not a catch-up mechanic, right? It's like the butterfly meme, where second dinner is like, is this a catch-up mechanic? And they're holding a $100 bill. Like, no, that's not a catch-up mechanic. <laughs> that's $100. That's paying. Yeah. The, the concern that I had when I first started playing this game in beta was when global release hits, you're going to have a lot of people that watch a cool deck on YouTube or Twitch and then look how many months it is before they get to play the cool deck at the space between what I see and what I can do, right? But it's, and that runway is getting longer for people that aren't currently in the game. And there's a lot of attrition from people that maybe fall off because they can't do a thing and then they stop doing their dailies. There's no catch up there. So some way to get people back in and some way to catch people up, I think is the, is the only missing piece that I really see. But for the people that are on the treadmill, I understand that it feels like I can't do what I want, but if you're still going on the treadmill, then maybe it's doing what they want, and that's success.
by most metrics. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a tough spot because I think that it's, you know, it's, it is a function of how high can we price it and how many people will buy it. And, um, like it is sort of inversely related and they're trying to find the perfect balance. And it still seems that we've landed in a place that's just so prohibitively freaking expensive that as like, you know, as a player, you're just like, how much longer can this last? Cause it, it does seem not sustainable. And I think that this idea of unique collections in a card game like this, like when you get to pool three and you start doing that progression, you watch KM play with his series five decks. Do you feel happy that you have a unique collection or do you feel pissed off that you can't play with the cards? Probably the latter. Um, I just hope that there's a way. But do you keep doing your daily? You probably keep doing it. Do you keep- yep, you probably keep doing but how but for how long? That's the question. That's the question. I know for me They don't want your money. Yeah. They want your time. They want your attention. They want your ten dollars a month. They want your attention. They want you to keep bitching about it in Discord because that means you're still playing the game. Yeah. Your attention is your attention is monetized <laughs> for sure. It is incredible the degree to which they seem to not want your money. Like they, they just don't care. They're like, we only want your money if you're going to give us a hundred dollars. If not, don't even bother. Don't even come here if you are gonna give us a hundred dollars every two months, bro. I don't even want to talk to you. You can just play for free, bro. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like. That is funny. There's like, there's not much middle ground between whaling and free to play. Yeah. I think that the the middle ground is like buying the season pass every month. But other than that's that, far it's from like, a middle ground, though. Like that's a that's a one tenth of the way ground. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like it's the opposite of a middle ground. There's no there's no like uh you know equivalent to going on TCG player and ordering a, a ready made deck and then running it through the price optimizer fifteen times until you get it like five dollars off. Right? There's no equivalent to that. Mm-hmm. You can't just like spend a hundred dollars in Marvel Snap and have a deck you're gonna play for the next three months. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hundreds lowballing it, but like, there's no, there's no room for. I guess the right way to phrase this would be, I mean, like, let's say you're like a college kid and you have some amount of disposable income, but not really a lot, and you want to play competitive Marvel Snap. What is your avenue to do so? And the answer is, you don't have one. Your answer is wait. Right. Let's say you wanted to do it now, you can't do it now. Sorry. Right. If you don't have a shitload of disposable income, your answer is wait. And like, there are a bunch of people in that situation who would want to be competitive players, but do not have the ability to uh, pass the barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other can of worms, right? Uh, I think that the the like the questions would be like, is the future of competitive snap? Is it something like um, we're locking out series four and series five? Is it something like we have tournament a sectioned part of the game, like tournament realms, like a tournament partition where you get access to the cards for the tournament, something like that? Because right now it just it's not fair at all. <laughs> like, I mean, how can we host major tournaments and have people playing? Like, it just doesn't seem reasonable at all. And I think it's a, it sucks because I think the game could be, um, I think it could be really successful from like an esport perspective because it is so exciting and because it is so articulate to a viewer that might not know what's going on. Because if you look at a game like Magic the Gathering and you don't have a lot of domain knowledge, it's almost impossible to parse what's going on on the board. With Marvel Snap, it's relatively easy. There's not a lot of cards, but they also kind of visually signify what they're doing. And I think that it yeah, could be an numbers. incredible. Yep. There's think, numbers on the board that tell you who's winning. I think it could be an incredible esport. I really do. In terms of like how much card games can be esports, I think Marvel Snap could be the best one. Oh boy, the esports conversation. Are we doing that? Yeah, we're doing, we're doing Crack it up. Go ahead. I, no, I, I wanted to, this is one of the major reasons I wanted you here because you've been an absorb, observer of esports such as it is for 
longer than anyone I know in the card game space in that sense. You've been around more than anyone else. And I genuinely do want to know what your thoughts are on... Because my thoughts on Marvel Snap as a competitive esport are like mostly something along the lines of, I'm not really sure Second Dinner is interested in that. Um, and uh, th- th- that's pretty much where, where, where my thoughts end up. It is something that the community seems interested in, at least to a degree that I didn't expect. Um, so it's unclear where things may go from there. We've seen like quote unquote esports scenes get founded out of communities, but I think if this is an esports scene that exists at all, it'll be the kind of esports scene that is not like you know the VC funded esports scene and much more of a homegrown people are interested in watching this for like several thousand viewers on twitch.tv kind of esports scene it's and so my approach if i were second dinner let them do that that is your esports scene stay the hell away from any kind of first party esports because so far as we've seen in every industry in every aspect of the esports scene the best case scenario is to not do it like, just don't. It loses money. It's not effective marketing anymore. It, it, like, esports and competition in general was all about player engagement if you, if you needed it, right? And I think for a game like Magic the Gathering and, and for, like, paper card games like Flesh and Blood, you need that kind of communal connection to give something to work towards. And in particular, Magic has really embraced it with the commander side for the social stuff. But we had Pro Magic again uh, earlier this month, mm-hmm. and it ruled to watch. It was really fun. It was really interesting. Like, not esports, not physical sports, like a competition, right? You watch a competition every so often, done for like three, three Pro Tours a year or whatever. Super cool to watch, enjoyable, gives people a dream to chase. It's enough. And so, like, maybe you do just enough, but also Snap just really pretty clearly isn't that game and doesn't want to be. It just happens to be really good, and battle mode happens to be really good. So let people do it. But I think that if I'm second dinner, I I don't do anything more other than, like, enable grassroots community to flourish. And that's kind of the end of it. Because it just seems like a losing proposition where you get a lot of really invested people yelling at you all the time and you make no money off of them. I have a I have a follow up question. Is that that description uh, how you would categorize Hearthstone esports? Hearthstone esports is like at best bare minimum. Yeah, it's it's just like you give people a threadbare dream to chase because there will always be someone that chases it, and the vast majority of people that do are not putting in the time or effort or are gonna qualify. Right, like it's it's just they aren't but having the dream means something to them so you just set it up and go but i don't think that snap was even close to what hearthstone was trying to do like hearthstone 10 years ago was trying to compete with magic right it was trying to compete with pro tours snap isn't doing that they're in your pocket they just want to compete with other things that want your time so it's they don't have an anachronism to deal with here and so hearthstone esports i think ended up getting pared down over time the same way that like the grandmaster system magic pro league ended the same year yeah. within months of each other because when you have coronavirus that takes away all of your events and your sales stay the same then you go in a meeting and say so why would we ever do that again why would we ever spend the money that we cut 
when losing it had no impact to our bottom line. Why would you ever do it? And clearly, the cutback shows, well, we wouldn't. But with Magic, they found a reason to do it. They found a cost-effective way to do it and bring back a Pro Tour. And it was cool to watch. But it's not the same as a Hearthstone event like if you could do in-person events, I guess. But it just doesn't seem like the right fit for the game at this point. People are still playing. It's interesting. Yeah. Like, you, you mention it as them competing with Magic, right? That's why we need to have a pro Hearthstone scene in order for there to be a, like, true alternative to Magic because, that like, there's a segment of the, the customer base that will, you know, consider switching if that's true. And then you well, go it was back, back to in the, 2013. Right. Definitely not now. No, and then you go back to the MPL, though, right? Which was, that was the MPL was Magic being like, oh, we need to compete with Hearthstone. <laughs> like, we need to do that thing. <laughs> The MPL. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was kind of the idea of like, uh, it's not really competition so much as it seemed like this really clear pipeline for consistent content. Yes. You hired 32 people to be your content creators, but it turns out pro players and content creators, the Venn diagram crossover there is actually pretty small. And like a lot of pro players have no interest in being in front of a camera ever. Yep. I mean that 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 would be my thought process right like if you're someone who is i mean i guess i guess i don't know card games tend to attract not like overwhelmingly but you know like insular types you know look at us we're indoors right now you know what i mean like there's there's some of that right and it's like the the ability to be comfortable on camera you know there are certainly tons of card game players who have it but it's definitely not something i would think that playing the card game itself builds. You know what I mean? Being good at a card game does not come with that skill set. Uh, and I would argue it might actually come maybe a little bit negatively correlated with that skill set, perhaps. Uh, but so it, it is a it is a very tough spot if you are, you know, looking to generate content off what Second Dinner has done is just like just get it be entirely hands off. And be like, hey, you do what you want. <laughs> we'll we'll like We'll go out there and support you. I know a couple of the people from Second Dinner were at the uh, Creator Clash. I know that was pretty cool. I know the community manager was there. That's the guy whose face is on my stream. <laughs> he was there. A couple of the other people were there. I know they've done a couple little fun videos. Ben Brode had a battle with Binks. That, like, that's, that's ways they can support content. But I think stuff like that is about... Like when you said the MPL was their attempt at consistent content creation, right? That's actually what esports is about. That's the only value mm -hmm. esports has to a company is consistent content creation. And so if you can do that in ways that do not require a massive esports budget, like doing what they're doing right now, like getting themselves out there on these various YouTube channels, things like that. That seems like a smarter way to accomplish the same goal for me. It won't it won't hit a lot of people the same like there are going to be like the competitive player base can be like damn i can't even like compete hard here but right now the competitive the super competitive people are just like grinding it out for like 250 dollar open tournaments right now a bunch of people in my discord are doing that and it's like if that's if that's what they want to do then i guess they'll keep doing it mm -hmm. i would um i'd be really interested in knowing the intricacies of why magic hosted a pro tour at the quality they did again I wonder if the numbers and you know whatever on the back end showed that that was actually a good idea uh, monetarily. Because if if we look at the Pro Tour Phyrexia, which was the most recent Pro Tour, the quality was unmatched in my opinion. 
to like other Magic Pro Tours. And it was a rad event. Amazing. It was so cool. Amazing. Yeah. The amount of people they had sort of on the back end too um, was incredible. Like the, the whole entire, they smashed it out of the park and it wasn't even close, I think, to previous viewing experiences. And I would assume that wasn't cheap as well. I don't know if it was more or less expensive than other uh, Pro Tours that they've had coverage for, but I don't think it was cheap. And I wonder why they did it because it definitely reignited my interest in the game. I think I'm an outlier. Because I've played some of these games competitively, which is definitely never the sort of example. But I was blown away, and I I just want more of it. And I wonder if um, you know there was anything monetarily that told them it was a good idea. And if it was, it gives a lot of hope, I guess. And yeah, I mean, maybe maybe those numbers post COVID that said that they should cut it and maybe focus on their commander side. Maybe that wasn't all of it. Maybe there were some sort of longer trailing effects. With people getting disinterested in the game without there being a top end. I do wonder if there isn't a little bit of like a case of the inmates running the asylum here, which is not to say like in any sort of offensive way, but just like, you know, who's in charge of organized play right now? It's a former pro player, right? Like these are people who, right? It's it's, Huey. Yeah. Like people who care a lot about there being a pro tour are the people who are in a position to make there be a pro tour, right? Like that, there's definitely something to be said for that. And also, it's right after they canceled most of Hearthstone esports. Like timing couldn't have been better. A lot of, lot of Hearthstone grinders watched that event and then played in RCQ the next day. I yeah, actually, you're right. I saw a couple of those posts cross my timeline. It's like, yeah, no, that that's a real thing. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, anything uh, anything closing from you, KM or Hat, before we go to the uh, close it out here? I just want to thank Ridiculous Hat for being on the show. There literally could not be a better. We've never had a guest before. There literally could not be a better one. Uh, absolute pro. you're not going to know this because we probably are going to edit it out. But during the podcast, there was like a tiny break and he actually gave us tech support advice that was incredibly helpful. And I just, I like this. It's, it's unbelievable how your day gets better when, when this man is involved in it. And I, I assume that will be true of our podcast as well uh, with very little doubts. Yeah. There was a, there was multiple times during this podcast when you mentioned things or phrased things in ways that I had never thought about. The Angela one, I think, was uh, specifically profound to me just because I always viewed Angela just like such a simple light. But when you talked about sort of forecasting power, I just – I don't know. That's just a concept I didn't really think about. And I think it is, an, it, it is inherently balancing in Marvel Snap and that those things are actually okay. And you know maybe nerfs to Angela are not the way we want to go. But yeah, I mean, it was just an incredible conversation. I really appreciate it you coming on um for the people listening where can they find you what are you up to these days that whole that whole spiel yeah well thanks so much for being so nice both of you being so complimentary i do have one final thought which is uh nerf leech (laughs) Leech. uh and then if people yeah it like it's well i mean delete like it burn whatever whatever you want to you get them out of the game it's it's, it's just dumb we're gonna have you back on in like two months you're gonna say delete sandman this is this is this is the future. I mean, I, I'm not a Sand fan. Like, no, so yeah. So Don't if they still want to invite me back, 
I am. You know I am. Unreasonably so. You can find me, the hub of my content, twitter.com slash ridiculous hat. I, I tweet about multiple games I've learned. I have to start specifying a little bit because I'm so used to tweeting about Hearthstone patches and people are like, wait, you mean the snap patch? I'm like, no, oh. So uh, I tweet about multiple games and also like cheese and puns and that sort of stuff all the time. If you post a cat, I'll reply to you and say cat. Like, that'll happen. Um, so twitter.com slash ridiculous hat. That's a hub of my content. I have three Hearthstone podcasts. If you ask why you'll be in line behind my wife, I still don't have a good answer. Uh, but I, they're three different Hearthstone shows. Uh, I guest on podcasts whenever anyone asks me. Uh, so, you know, that happens. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm in your mentions. If you're on Twitter, I'm probably in your mentions. So, and uh, really honored to be here. Thanks so much for having me as your first guest. You're in the snapshot. I am certain there will be many more, many, much better guests in the future. Um, and uh, gentlemen, where can people find you? They're looking for you. Cam, where are you streaming? I was waiting for you. Uh, you can you can find me on twitch.tv slash cambestms and on Twitter at cambestms. Uh, the MS, it's a master of science. No, it's Marvel Snap. <laughs> um, I <laughs> Caught me I off guard. Have, oh my God, laughing. So I'm glad I got you with that one. <laughs> I, I have uh, a fairly dedicated community as well on Discord. The links to my Discord are on uh, my Twitch if you're interested in that. I would uh, try to stop by the Twitch if you want to get a feel for like what my content is like, what my community is like. I do a lot of work in terms of trying to find the best decks, trying to, you know, generally help people climb it's tough because you know we talk about the best decks they're very expensive i also try to have a little bit of an eye to budget conscious people help people out when they're like about halfway through the collection track you can go to my channel you can submit a little bit of a collection check where i tell you what you should play based on your collection there are a lot of different ways to help people in marvel snap to help people improve at marvel snap to help people enjoy their time trying to get better more and I focus on all of those. So yeah. check me out on those if yeah. you're interested. But if you're listening to this, you probably already know that. <laughs> I just want to... St- and I will say, don't be confused. If you go to his YouTube and you see some bearded guy there instead of KM, <laughs> it's it's actually the same guy. Right. I didn't even mention that on the podcast. Uh, I hit a sub goal yesterday, and now I have no beard. And I have not had no beard in at least half a decade and that was only for like until as long as it took for it to grow back wow so like extended period of no beard is literally i would have been in college last time i had i had no facial hair it 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 is almost a decade ago i am very used not used to feeling any kind of air on my face (laughs) i can definitely feel it now i don't like i'm not a fan you just like i'm gonna ask you the uh like the temperature every time we walk outside you're just like ultra sensitive you can tell when it's about the rain and stuff and but um <laughs> you feel the humidity in yeah the hat i don't think you're gonna make any enemies with your your proposal to nerf to nerf uh to nerf, Le- to nerf leech definitely not with me it's, uh that's that card is annoying but yeah for me you can find me on- yeah you're a galactus player i don't play galactus <laughs> i just i appreciate it as uh it's role i appreciate it's role but That's it's even I'm, worse fine. you uh, don't even can't. play galactus and you're like that yeah i like that dude i just know i just know <laughs> that in other card games i am that asshole that's playing that deck that you just really don't want to play against i don't do it in snap yet because there isn't a deck that is toxic enough i don't think but um yeah fun so is we're just fun. waiting fun is zero we're waiting for them to find something toxic enough for you 
Eventually, eventually. Maybe Sam. What would that even Classic entail? Classic Kano player. <laughs> what would that even entail? I play my card yeah. and you have to sit through the game and watch me play the rest of it out. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like magic, but it like yes. makes the game 12 turns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, just, you just have to sit there. Yeah, we, we double the turns and you must spectate the game. <laughs> we the double solitaire. the turns and you can't leave. We turn off the retreat mechanic. <laughs> All right. Well, we did have a review this week, Cam, and I know you're going to like this one. So this review is from Real uh, Real Savai, too. Um, they say, Cam is so cool and awesome and amazing and cool and magnificent and magical and astonishing and astounding and breathtaking. Brenda is there, too. Thank you so That's much exactly. for the review. More of those, please. <laughs> More of those. Yep. Uh, well, thank you for that that glowing review and your your compliments. Um, you, if you want to leave a review, you can leave a review at ratethispodcast.com slash snapshot. That's a review aggregator that will... So, you know, wherever you come from, desktop, phone, it'll give you a short uh, one-click review for the snapshot. We appreciate it very much. It does help a lot. There's a video version of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash at the underscore snapshot. Hit that like and subscribe while you're there. Twitter, Brendan APG, KM Best, at Ridiculous Hat. Wait, and wait, wait, wait. Wait. What about the other Twitter? Which one? Didn't oh, you make one? Yes, yes, yes. And at snapshot pod <laughs> so there, there we yeah. go our twitter is coming up this week oh yeah i'll make sure it's in the in the overlay next week but we appreciate yeah, also you all it is uh a cam best ms on twitter ms yeah master sommelier uh yeah. we appreciate you all for listening ridiculous hat thank you so much again for coming on we will see you next week